Can somebody praise the Lord in the house today? Would you lift your hands all across this place? How many of you, the Lord has done something awesome for you? How many of you know he's worthy of all praise and all glory? Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated today. We have pastor's text. I'm going to be reading to you. I'll just tell you it's lengthy. You can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read a couple of verses and then we're going to jump over to chapter 14. How many of you are ready for the word? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I'll give you just a second. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And then jump over to the very last verse, and then we'll go to chapter 14, last verse of chapter 12. It says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show and tell, show I unto you a more excellent way. Chapter 14. We're going to read the first 33 verses. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that spaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. That he may speak in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesies edifieth the church. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speak with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge? or by prophesying, or by doctrine. And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? for you shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. Therefore, I know not the meaning of the voice. I shall be unto him that speak the barbarian and he that speaks shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, speak that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speak in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at, at thy giving of thanks? seeing he understands not what you say. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that my voice I might teach others also than, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak unto this people, and yet for all that they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that not believe, but prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that they are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. 
And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If one man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For, you, for ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Brother Marvin, would you pray over this morning's service, please? Amen. And everybody says, amen. amen. This morning, it's very evident of where I'm going within the scriptures and what I, kind of a topic I'm going to be speaking on, a very unusual topic on a Sunday morning. Usually this is done in a classroom setting or in a, a time together when you're trying to disciple or to teach or to train leaders. But as I begin to think about these passages of scriptures, the Lord would not let go of me. I mean to tell you, he's wrestled with me all week on this. And there's so much in this passage of scripture that there's no way possible that I'm going to be able to get through everything that I want to. I'm going to be speaking very fast. I want you to pay very close attention. We're going to try to get through as much of it as I can. When you begin to get into topics like this, the biggest problem of it is you get so full and you're running out of time, and then when you stop, you don't bring clarity to even what you taught because you had more to teach in order to jump back and clarify some of the things that you've spoken and compare it to what the Scripture is actually saying. So I'm going to try my best to get through and then we'll see where this thing leads. I hope I don't get off chasing rabbits, but, but this thing is real. And if we want revival, guys, we've got to have everything that God's got for us. We're living in a time when we need the power of God. If there's ever a time for the church to return back to where it has got the authority of the scripture and the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's now. We have to have it. We are facing demonic forces like we have never faced before. And the only thing to overcome and the only way that we're gonna be able to have success in the last days is to have the presence of God like we've never had him before. I want to. I want you to look at chapter twelve with me of First Corinthians. In chapter twelve of First Corinthians, we have what we call the instructions by the Apostle Paul concerning spiritual gifts and the use of them. We do not have time to go over the whole chapter line item by line item, but I do want to talk to you this morning on what I feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to say to you concerning these scriptures. Paul, in verse one of our text, makes it plain that he does not want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And let me just stop right here. There, that is one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ today is the ignorance uh, towards spiritual gifts. People don't study them. People don't seek after them. People just want to skip them. And a lot of them even declare that they're not even for today, that they do not even exist for the 21st century. But if spiritual gifts were lifted or no longer in operation or important to the body of Christ in the 21st century, then all of Paul would have had to done is dismiss them altogether and he would have never had to teach or instruct, instruct us in the scripture. If they're not for us today, why did even put them in there. Can I have an amen? First of all, he makes it plain that he does not want us to be ignorant of the gifts and the working of the operations of them in the body of the church. I want to I tell you that the gifts of the Holy Spirit is for the 21st century church of today. Can I have an amen? Do I have any witnesses out there? Just a handful. I said that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the 21st century church. 
He says in the last verse of the chapter of our text in verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts and I will show you a more excellent way. How many wants to know the excellent way? How many wants to go on and perform in excellence? I don't want to just, you know, beat around up here and just kind of do my best. I want a spirit of excellence. I want God to have a church that has a spirit of excellence upon it. He actually encourages the church to covet earnestly the best gifts. The words covet and earnestly reveals that Paul wants us to have a holy ambition to discover and accept and for us to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. This speaks that there ought to be a passionate desire of all believers, not just some believers, for the gifts of the Spirit to be operating within their lives. Paul actually wants the church to, to be not to be in hot pursuit of these gifts and understand their importance. He he actually uses the word covet in order to describe the intensity of our desire that we are to have in seeking after these gifts. The Hebrew word used for the word covenant is found in the, when Moses wrote in Exodus 20, 17, he said, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's manservants, nor his maidservants, nor his ox, nor his donkeys, nor anything that the neighbor has. The Hebrew word here used for the word covenant is the strongest word that there is to describe the full depth and the meaning of the word desire. I want you to know that there's no greater desire than that of covetousness. It is even a stronger word than that word of lust. How many knows how powerful lust can be? Come on, someone raise your hand. We've all wrestled with that old spirit of lust. But even the, even covet, coveting something is stronger than the word lust which means an unholy desire or an unlawful craving or a misdirected passion or an unholy zeal. Lust is when a man desires something to the point of having a heat-hotted passion for it. It's an overwhelming, uh, overwhelming feeling that takes over. Haven't you ever heard someone says he's just burned with lust? However, the word covenant carries desire even to a deeper level. The word covenant here actually means even in our text, more than hot, more than boiling, more than passionate desire, but it means to start planning and scheming and plotting and pursuing what is desired. It's one thing to have a hot anchoring for something and you can't sleep at night and you, it's just gnawing at you and, and you just you just you just want it so bad. Have you ever had that? I've done that for pickups before and cars before and that usually goes away after the third payment. Can I have an amen? But the truth of the matter, haven't you ever had that hot desire? Well, covetousness is more than that. It's where I can't take this no more. So you step out to start pursuing and you step out, start planning, how am I going to obtain that which I desire? The word covenant carries desire to a greater level. The word covenant here actually means more than just being hot and passionate. But let me remind you, it was Paul that said, covet earnestly the best gifts. He even went on to say in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with other tongues. He tells this body right here today, I want y'all as believers to start coveting for spiritual gifts. I want you to get to the place where you're not just wanting them to like lust, like a lust of something, but I want you to even go into a greater depth. I want you to start stepping out and seeking for them. I want you to start reaching for them. I I want you to start asking for them. I want you to start begging for them. I want you to start doing everything you know to do. Study about them. Read about them. Get them in your spirit. Come on, somebody. Help me preach right here. This is what Paul is saying. He said, I want you to covet everything within you. I want you to want these gifts. The Greek word in the New Testament for covenant means to delight in, to look at them as precious and important, to wish for 
them, to be desirous, to long for. It also carries what is the idea of going after it and pursuing it. Covet is a action word that puts desire into action, and it means to put into motion, to literally run after it with all of your heart. It actually places it in the context that I can't live without this. It's a burning desire. I'm ate up with it. I can't go on without it. And it just becomes where it consumes your mind. It consumes your heart. It consumes your spirit. If the, ha, if the church could get on fire like that, if the church could come in here and get rid of everything, but oh God, I gotta have you today. God, I wanna prophesy. I wanna experience that experience. Oh God, I wanna speak in tongues. I wanna interpret tongues. Oh God, I want the gift of faith. Oh God, I want the gift of knowledge. Oh God, I want the discerning of spirit. Oh God, I want the working of miracles. Oh God, I gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. I can't live without it. It's a gnawing, aching crawl inside of me that I can't let go up. God, I'm gonna blow up. If you don't give it to me. Ah, oh, somebody lift your hands and praise the Lord in this place and say, pour it out on us, God. Hallelujah. How many of us actually pursue the spiritual gifts like that? How many of us truly hunger and thirst after and crave for the Holy Spirit to empower us and use us in the gifts of the Spirit? This is the reason that there's little to none of the gifts operating in the 21st century church. There's a lack of passion. There's a lack of desire. There's a lack of zeal for the things of God. The Bible makes it clear in Matthew 5 and 6, blessed, say blessed, are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they're the ones that's gonna be filled. And it seems that we can crave and desire and burn and passion for everything of the world, but we don't have time to have that same kind of passion and covetous after the things of the Spirit. And what's so odd, the Bible even tells us that the Spirit lusteth against us within thee, that the Holy Spirit lusts after us, the way Paul is telling us to lust after him. The Holy Ghost craves us. The Holy Spirit wants us more than we want him. We're always saying God poured out. God said, I'm trying, I'm wanting to, I desire to. He's up there saying, Jesus is interceding on our behalf with passion. He wants you to have it more than you want it. Can I have an amen? We see people becoming desirous of things to the point that they crave. They increase with hot intensity. They boil to the point of desire. They set themselves in motion to obtain that which they want. It's all they can think about. It consumes their time, it consumes their energy. We see it happen with all kinds of things, cars, home, uh, girls, boys, lands, worldly things. Consumes them. They don't only become lustful, but they begin to covet. And they're putting their lust into motion to get it regardless of what they desire. I'm gonna have to move on because I'm running out of time. But this is the kind of desire that we're to have for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're not to be jealous in the sense that we don't want other people to have it, but we're to be jealous in the sense if Joe's got it, I want it. If Sam can have it, I can have it. If Susie's got it, and it's for me, then I want everything God's got for me. It isn't that I don't want them to have it, but if they can have it, I want it. Can I have another man? It's almost like that we have not even been able to provoke people to jealousy because we're not flowing enough in the gifts for people to even desire what we got. And yet the whole Bible tells us that, that the Gentiles provoke Israel to jealousy because of what God's doing through the Gentile church. Israel is at jealousy to this day because of it. And when I see these scriptures, the Bible literally tells me to want these gifts in a spirit of even jealousy, not a worldly jealousy, but a righteous jealousy. And to, in order for you to be jealous of something means you want something for ownership. You're not good enough by seeing it happen to somebody else. You're saying, I want it for myself. I want to take ownership of that gift. Can I have an amen? 
We're to want, desire these spiritual gifts because Paul made it plain all throughout this chapter. They are necessary and they're needful for the body. I said they're necessary and they're needful for the body. Listen to what he says in verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts. Why? So I can show you a more excellent way. It's only by the spirit that the way of excellence is found. The gifts provide a better way to live, a more productive, a more fruitful, a more prosperous, a more spiritual way. How many wants that kind of a life? Amen? Without the Spirit, we can do nothing. We've already been told that. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that the supernatural manifestations of God can actually happen. It's not by power, it's not by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This is why that Paul said in verse seven of this chapter, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. There is profit in the gifts of the Spirit and they bring blessings to every church body that receives them and works in them and operates in them. A church void of spiritual gifts is like a sailboat without any wind. It's like a cloud without any rain. It's like a well without any water. And when you begin to look between these two verses of Scripture, in chapter 12 alone, there are 31 verses that deal with the workings of the gifts of the Spirit in the church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If they can put that on the board, I hope they can. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 4, says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the same Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he willeth. Now there's a lot of preaching right there. Notice that the apostle Paul mentions nine gifts of the spirit in these verses of scripture. He also tells us that there are many different ways that those gifts operate, many different ways that they are administrated. They're not all administrated the same way. But they are of this one self-same spirit. He tells, I'm gonna give Mike maybe the gift of faith, Bill the working of miracles. I'll give Mike the gift of tongues and interpretation. But regardless, though they work differently and they're different gifts, they are of the same Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? Yet Paul makes it very clear that even though there is a diversity of gifts and they are different in their operation, they are different in their administration, yet he tells us that they are all of the self-same spirit and he gives them to every man severally as he willeth. Listen to what he says again in verse 11. But all these worketh that one and self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as I will. This means that man does not own the gifts. They're not something that he can possess or turn on or turn off. And these are also the reason that the communicative gifts are not of a private interpretation. One person or one church does not have ownership of these gifts. We do not hold a patent to them, but they're available to all men. You don't have to go to Oklahoma City to get a healing or you don't have to go out to Springfield where miracles are happening because right here in this very service, God can pour out his Holy Spirit upon an individual with the gift of healing in their hands and it can be any one of us who believe. I hear people all the time, well, he's got this gift and he's got that gift. Well, the truth of the matter is we have access to all nine gifts. Our personality only yields to certain gifts more easily. Can I have an amen? This is also the reason that the communicate gifts are not of a private interpretation because there's no thing as a private interpretation. What God speaks, he wants everybody to know. The nine gifts of the Spirit are listed as word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gift of faith, gift of healing, working of miracles, gift of prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. These nine gifts of the Spirit are actually grouped into three different categories. First of all, there are the three gifts of administration. 
Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning the spirit. You got to have that to have administrative skills to keep order and chaos from happening in the body of Christ. They're for administration. They're for discerning, understanding. Folks, I want to tell you, when I come into this house, my wife's always saying, you're too analytical. I can't help it. The Holy Spirit gives me discernment over this. And when things ain't right, it drives me crazy. I can feel the service. I can understand what God wants. I know it. Every time I walk in, there's a discerning spirit inside of me that's discerning the atmosphere. I know when we're on it, and I know when we're off of it. Can I have an amen? And then there are gifts that are given. These gifts are given. They're not a talent that a man is birthed with. You've heard people say that is one talented individual. Gifts are different than talent. These gifts are spiritual gifts, and they're to be given by revelation and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's, they're, they're, they're not done by raw talent or by the ingenuity of man. They're not done by what we would say the framework or the inner workings of man or from the personality of man or from the talent of man. They're done by the power of the Holy Spirit. These gifts are many gifts of administration, which we read in verse 5. These gifts are gifts of revelation given by God to administrate and mainly to keep order in the house of God. Then there's three gifts of communication, gift of prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. All these gifts communicate, which involves speaking. In order for these to work, it demands utterance, speech from the vocal cords of the believer. They're communicated gifts. Am I boring you today? These gifts are mainly gifts of edification. Paul, in referring to these three gifts of communication, says in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, oh, watch this, Paul's saying hallelujah. I've got a church that's zealous of spiritual gifts. He's not criticizing that. He said, but seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. These gifts are gifts of communication given by God to bring edification to the hearer or to the body of Christ. Then there are three gifts of operation. There's the gift of faith. There's the gift of healing. And there's the gift of the working of miracles. These gifts are gifts mainly used in demonstration. And let me stop right here. These are the hardest gifts to flow in on a regular basis because too much pride and ego is in the hearts of men and women. You have to be dead to yourself before you can flow on them, especially on a regular basis. The man that's just going around slapping people on the head and things are happening, he'll lift himself up with pride if he ain't careful. And he begins to get so used to that giftedness that he begins to think that it's him that is gifted and he forgets about it's the Holy Spirit that the one doing it, it's not the man that is actually being yielded to the Holy Spirit. And you gotta watch out in the congregation, you'll get to idolizing people who have the gifts operating in their life and when you do, it becomes idolatry and sometimes God has to put a stop to the gift because of our attitude toward it. Am I preaching all right here today? If we're gonna have a revival in this house, we cannot put men upon a pedestal and look at them as, whoo, some holy person that's got these giftedness. If it's a gift, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's coming from above, and it's God doing the work in that man. Well, I'm about to have a runaway. My legs are getting limber. I have a hip problem, but I feel like God's healing it right now. Hallelujah. Now right here's where I Let the Holy Ghost be felt here in this service right now. Lift your hands over. Stand to your feet. Magnify the Lord. Glorify the Lord. He wants to pour out his gifts.
God, have your way. Have your way. If there's an interpreter, let them speak or I'm going to move on. Don't wrestle with it. Just obey the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. He's here to do it. Hallelujah. I want to try to finish and then we'll see where the Lord goes. But there's the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the working of miracles, the operational gifts. They're op- they are, these gifts of operation are to be given to demonstrate the power of God. They are gifts used mainly of all to bring wholeness to the body of Christ to bring a man or a woman to completeness, to bring and place him in a place of wholeness, healthy. God wants healthy churches. Did not Jesus come to give life and to give it to us more abundantly? Then John said, I wish you would prosper and be in good health even as your souls prosper. Can I have an amen? That's what these gifts of operation are to do. They are to bring the man into completion. Again, let me remind us that all of these nine gifts of the Spirit are given by God severally as he willeth. Severally means separately or individually or each in their turn, corporately speaking. So what does that mean? That means that God can give any individual that he wants to this gift at any time that he wants to. Or he can give it to the whole body, but they'll have to wait their turn in order to exercise it. Can I have an Amen. Man does not own these gifts, nor does he have control over these gifts. He's only yielded to these gifts. God can pour out his spirit upon any individual that's a believer, young or old. I have seen children being used by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen children prophesy. Can I have an amen? Hebrews 2 and 4 says, And God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot conjure it up. You cannot somehow try to make it happen. It's either of God or it's not. Can I have an amen? However, all nine of the gifts are for the purpose to bring profit to the body of Christ. Verse seven again, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Some people think that there is no use in the working of the gifts in the body of Christ because there's too many problems that come along with it and you run too big of a risk. I've been told by my friends, the larger you become, the less of the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation because if you start allowing the gifts to operate in a church of 500 to 1,000, you'll have chaos. I disagree. Out of 500, there ought to be more yielded people than out of a a body of 50. Can I have an amen? All this is telling me is that the pastors and the staff are afraid to pastor and address problems as they arrive. And when you have leadership like that, you, then you have a church that never reaches its full potential because they miss out on the profit that these gifts bring. If the gifts are not here, the profit is not here as well. If you had a business and you were making 50% and you were content and somebody comes up, I can jump that up to 75%. If you'll just make this little change, you'd be making the changes necessary to get that extra 25%. And I'm here to tell you right now that God's speaking to the church and say, you got a good church, but I want to make it a great church. You got a good church, but I want to give you even more than what you got. I want to give you a percentage above and beyond what everybody else is care. I want you to start operating the gifts and the gifts will bring profit to the body of Christ. Can I have it? Don't be afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Folks, spiritual gifts sometimes makes the difference between life and death. Lost opportunities because there wasn't a gift that was in operation. Let me also say I would rather for a person to fail trying than to never try at all. 
Amen? And most of the time when a believer misses the mark in the area of his spiritual giftedness, you don't have to tell him because the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with him before it's ever even over and he teaches him. Now, there are some people that don't get, get it and they keep repeating and they keep erring and they keep continually doing things that's out of line. That's the pastor's job. That is the leadership's job, not to rebuke them in front of everybody, let it go on, and then after the service, unless it gets out of hand, and then he has to bring control of the service, he may have to rebuke openly. But he takes that individual privately into a classroom setting by himself and talks to him and shows him and shows him where he's, at and where he's missing it and where the air of his way's at. Can I have an amen? This tells us two things. I'm gonna make accountability to you. I'm pastoring this morning. We have to be willing to let people learn, grow, and mature in spiritual gifts, and there needs to be room for error and failure without judgment and condemnation. A young believer, he's trying, and he just discerns the Lord wrong, and he does something wrong. He don't need a bunch of pious Christians pouncing on him. At least he got out of the boat and walked on the water while you sat in the boat. Can you hear old Peter, uh, uh, John and all the rest of them that's in the boat? Look, Peter, he's sinking. Can't you hear Peter? Yeah, but at least I walked on the water. Can I have an amen? Don't ever criticize somebody for trying. And if it continues, don't worry. Our staff, me as a pastor, we'll take care of it. Amen? Number two, the body has to be mature enough to take correction instruction from leadership when necessary. If you do get out of the gift and you don't learn, and we give you ample time to learn, and then when we come to you, don't get mad at us. Don't despise correction. The person that gets anger and bitter and, and hurt and embarrassed over it, folks, I want to tell you something. They are not spiritual because you are to be eager to want to learn, and learning means you have to take instruction and you have to take correction in order to learn. It's a part of learning. There's nothing to be embarrassed by. You'd want I want to tell you, I want men to come to me and say, hey, you erred in this area. I welcome it. Can I, have it? I can't grow without that. As a matter of fact, did you know the Apostle Paul called people who despised the correction? Hold your ears. What do you call them in Scripture? It's Scripture. Called them bastards. Illegitimate children. Despise the chastening of the Lord. What does that mean? That means that people that despise the correction won't be with you long because what they're going to do, they're going to forsake the body, they're going to forsake their God-given oath, they're going to forsake their post, they're going to forsake the family unit, and they're going to go out and they're going to get on their own, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to govern their self because they don't want to be taught anything, and they become illegitimate children. The gifts that Paul mainly is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, holy smokes, Oh, Holy Father, I pray that you will hold back time like you did for those in the Old Testament. <laughs> the gifts that Paul mainly is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14 are scriptures concerning the gifts of communication. That's where they had the problem. This was the area that the Corinthian church had misused and abused the gifts, causing confusion in the body. And the reason that these people were misusing them was because Paul had said they were unskilled, they were unlearned, they were missing the mark due to ignorance. They hadn't been taught. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1, brethren, I won't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, but they were. They were ignorant. The gifts were new to them. Therefore, there was error as they began to try to operate in them. As the old saying says, to err is human. At least they were trying. I want us to focus on the difference of the three gifts of communication that they erred in. What are the three gifts of communication? Gift of prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, which is equivalent to prophecy, which I don't know if we'll get that for or not. A lot of people have a difficulty in trying to divide these because they're already equally important and they serve the body with the same purpose and that's to edify. 
These three gifts are one in purpose, same in substance, because they're all done by one and the self same spirit, but they are different in their operation, they're different in the way that they're ordered, the way that they work, they're different. These gifts are used for the purpose to edify the body, while the other gifts that we mentioned are used for administrative purpose and demonstrative purposes. But the real problem that Paul was addressing with was these three gifts of communication. That's where they were messing up. We have to understand that the real problem didn't lie within the gift alone, but it lied in the fact that these gifts of administration was not active along with these gifts. They lacked wisdom, they lacked understanding, they lacked revelation, they lacked knowledge. They flowed well with the gift of communication, but they did not have the gift of administration among them. They lacked in the wisdom and the knowledge of how to operate in those gifts. And let me stop right here and say, we don't need just three of them in operation, we need all nine of these gifts in operation to have a balance within the church. Can I have an amen? They rely upon each other. They were not rebuked because of the gift, just the misuse of that gift. Nowhere did the apostle Paul scold them or rebuke them concerning the gift itself, but rather he actually encouraged it. Remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but covet earnestly the best of gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Even in the middle of them misusing these gifts and not understanding them, listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. Follow after charity, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. He says, desire them, want them. And the problem with the American church today is if someone misses the mark, we're too prone to want to throw them out and just then throw the gift out altogether with them. Amen? If someone misuses a gift does not invalidate that gift. Amen? The gift is still real. It may just been used wrong. We want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Paul didn't even question the realness of the gift. He just told them they did not know how to be used in the gift more perfectly. Instead of their gifts edifying, they were causing confusion and chaos in the body. First of all, people will misunderstand. There will be people that come in that are not schooled. They're unlearned. They don't know what in the world's going on. But let me say this. If it's the real gift in operation, it should never cause chaos or it should never be chaotic in nature. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace into all of the churches of the saints. He also tells us again in verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. God's of God of order. Paul, remain, Paul mainly deals with the issue of the misuse of the interpretation of tongues. If the gift of interpretation of tongues is used for any other reason than to edify the body, it's wrong. If someone gives out tongues and somebody else interprets, that has nothing to do with the sign of their maturity or their spirituality. I wish I could, if you don't believe me, look at Saul. He went out and prophesied among the prophets and at the same time had hatred in his heart towards David and was trying to kill him. There's a grace period there. And number two, the gift of interpretation is it to be used for an individual to get their personal message across to somebody. This actually happened in one of our churches years and years ago. I've told it before. Two old maids like the same a bachelor. But the bachelor didn't like them. And he started dating another maid in the church. So the one old maiden got up and gave out tongues. And the other maiden got up and said, thou thinkest thou art a humdinger, but I would have you to know you're nothing but a dinger. <laughs> we laugh. So chaotic, so carnal. And that's why it's given Pentecost a bad name. Because of the misuse of the gifts. The interpretation of the tongues is for the purpose to communicate the word and the will of God to the body of Christ. Paul starts out with dealing with tongues, not the interpretation of tongues, 
but the diverse kinds of tongues, and he deals with prophecy. The first four verses of chapter 14 of our text has nothing to do with the interpretation of tongues. Read them. Put them on. First Corinthians chapter 14, starting with verse 1, if you can put it on the board. Is it up there? No, we're trying, guys. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For man understandeth him, howbeit, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to the edification and the exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the body. Now, first of all, the tongues that he's speaking of in these verses of Scripture are different than the tongues that he speaks about in verses 6 all the way to verse 19. He switches gears. Paul, in these first four verses of Scripture, is speaking of the gift of diverse kinds of tongues and not the interpretation of tongues. They are both communicated gifts and they all have to be spoken. When people get all mixed up is, every time they hear the word tongue or hear, see tongues, they think that there has to be an interpreter. That is not true. Say, oh, they missed it. What's all, and, and then you, you know, there's times, how many have seen this? I gotta get away from my, it's getting late. I'll hurry, okay? Don't mean I'll finish early, but I'll hurry. And he tells us here in this passage of scripture that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, he does not speak to man, but he speaks to God. And he's speaking mysteries. That's not talking about tongues and interpretation. It's talking about me having a prayer language, a prayer a tongue, that talks to the Father and me and him talk in mysteries because no man can know that language. That means that every time I get down and I pray in English, the devil knows English, he knows Chinese, he knows Japanese, he knows every language of the world. But when Kent Miller bows his knee and he begins to pray in his prayer tongue, that is a tongue that he can't understand. I'm speaking in mysteries. It's between me and the heavenly father and he cannot plot and plan and scheme and know what we're talking about. You say, what is that? I don't know. That's a mystery between me and my heavenly father. Stay out of my closet. So therefore, with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered or with dialect and tongue that cannot be dissected, I pray in the spirit the will of God and I know that if I pray in the spirit, I'll have the things that I desire of God because I can only pray in the will of God. He leads me in all truth. Hallelujah. When we come in and we get into worship in a Pentecostal church, You'll hear people lift their hands and they'll begin to magnify God and before long you'll hear 30 different people speak in tongues, maybe 50 people. And if you're not schooled, they'll say, these are out of order. No, they're not. Leave them alone. Paul even said, if you don't watch out, I'll break it out in song and I'll sing in the spirit. I've never allowed that, only one time the Holy Spirit in the shower one morning, that's where I sing. It's the only place they allow me to sing. I was singing, I thought, boy, I wish they could have heard that. I was singing and all of a sudden tongues hit me. I, 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 and now this ain't of the Holy Spirit right here. But I started, and I started singing in tongues. I got so happy, I danced plumb out of the shower had water slung all over that bathroom floor. The Lord ministered to me. The Lord touched me in a way that I've never been touched with. That's never happened to me again. Paul said, I'll sing in the Spirit and I'll pray in the Spirit. Or I'll sing in the Spirit and I'll sing with my understanding. I'll pray in the Spirit and I'll pray with my understanding. I'll pray in my native tongue, but I'll pray in tongues. 
He said, forbid not tongues. I'm not against tongues. He's not rebuking them in the first four verses as people think. The first four verses is not verses of correction. Verses six through 19 is verses of correction. You'll have to find them out at another time. But here's what Paul says. He says, when I'm in that heavenly language, I'm speaking mysteries unto God, and it does edify. It don't edify the congregation. It edifies myself. His spirit, bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Speaking to myself with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in my heart unto the Lord. As David said, I encourage myself in the Lord. How can I encourage? How can I affirm? How can I edify anybody else if I'm not edified? If I'm not edified by the Holy Spirit, I'll never be used in the gift of, to, uh, gifts of the Spirit because I'll be full of so much condemnation and guilt and lethar I'll be lethargic. I'll be so lukewarm and I'll ha I won't have any confidence. You gotta know who you are in order to be lifted up in faith enough to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Am I preaching Okay. He goes on, verses 16 through 19, and he talks about the trumpet. If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, then how can they prepare for battle? You gotta understand, the trumpet had different voices. There were certain blasts that meant something. When they hear this blast, that means to retreat. When they hear this blast, that means to attack. When this man blast, that means to awake. He says, but what happens if he makes an uncertain sound that we don't know? We, won't, we don't, won't know what to do. And then he says, when it comes to the body, he said, I want you all to speak in tongues, but I want you also to prophesy so that not only you would be edified, but your edification would roll over to where then the church can be edified. Amen? And this is where people understand the diverse kinds of tongues. Haven't you ever seen diverse kinds of tongues? And some of you that are in Pentecostal services and everybody's speaking in tongues, all of a sudden a holy hush will hit that place and then a tongue will go out and that means that that is a tongue that is to be interpreted so that the body can receive edification. And a lot of times somebody will jump right on it and, and they'll what? They, they, they will uh, interpret it. Sometimes it's not interpreted and it'll go out again. Giving a guy a second chance. And Paul says it, it can go out even a third time. But after the third time, don't let it go out no more or you're gonna create chaos. And God's a God of order. He says, don't do that. Let them remain silent. You missed your opportunity. Let everybody do it by course up to three times. But then if it does not get interpreted, be quiet. Because anything past that is out of order. Now you have some Pentecostal churches that teach that only three messages are permitted in any given service. That is not true. That word three there just means if it's not interpreted, give it three times. If it ain't interpreted, then shut your mouth and move on. But if it is interpreted, he said, I'll let everyone. He said, every one of you have a tongue. Every one of you have a prophecy. Every one of you got a song. Every one of you can give it by course, not at the same time and cause confusion. Let Mary give her tongues and then let someone interpret it. Then. Let, let Mary give her tongues and let someone else interpret it. Let someone else give out tongues. Let them let someone then prophesy and another prophesy. But don't try to be doing it at the same time. Folks, there could be a hundred messages go out in any given service. Am I preaching all right? And he said, when it comes to the gifts of tongues and interpretation, he says you gotta do it, but you gotta do it by course, keeping keep order. But he says, but the spirit is subject unto the prophet. If the prophet's preaching and you feel like you've got tongues, keep it to yourself. Don't interrupt the word of God. Because he's speaking in their native language and he's edifying them through scripture and doctrine. Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please? What is prophecy? 
What is tongues interpretation? Tongues is where one man or one woman will give out tongues, another will interpret. And then that way the interpretation will give edification to the body. It may not be to the whole body at that given time, but the body gets edification and there'll be somebody there that it's gonna dig into. And then prophecy is, uh, that tongues interpretation are equivalent to prophecy. What's prophecy? It's when just somebody gets up with a rhema word of prophetic utterance and they prophesy over the congregation without tongues. And what it is, prophecy, is nothing more than tongues and interpretation without the tongues. They're directly going right to the message. That's what it is. There's been times when I've been preaching and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, the pastor will always do this if he's preaching and he stops and there's a holy hush and there's a pause. That's the spirit upon him breaking in and he's yielded and he's allowing at that moment for tongues to go out to edify, to confirm what he's preaching to the congregation. And whatever will be spoken in that word will confirm everything that man of God is saying. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything's established. We do not have to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. So what we get over zealous once in a while? Someone, one old preacher said, don't let no wildfire get in the church. If you do, it'll take over. Dear God, give me some wildfire. Give me something to work with. That's what one old preacher said. He said, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire at all. I'll have something to work with. Don't be intimidated by the gifts. They're easy to understand when you flow in it. It's easy to discern. It's easy to discern when it's diverse kinds of tongues. There's times when people are just speaking in tongues by themselves, but here's what they won't do. They won't speak in them tongues while the whole congregation's being quiet and they're making a show of themselves. That's out of order. That's not a place for it. And those people will be corrected in due time if the Holy Spirit don't teach them. That's my job. And you know what I always do? Randy, handle that for me. Randy goes to Josh. Josh, can you take care of that? I'm kidding. I love this body. We got a great church, got a wonderful church. God's wanting to sharpen us. Some of the greatest encounters I've had with God has been through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ah, they're real and they're wonderful. He even talks about, well, I haven't got time to go there. There's a lot more in that. I, I just skimmed the surface, trying to show you the importance, the necessity, and the hunger and the desire that you and I are to have for these gifts. Paul's saying, you are to desire them as if you can't live without them. And the truth of the matter is we can't live without them. We need them. We got to have them. We want them, oh, Holy Spirit. And it don't take weeks and hours and months of seeking. It just takes a, a humble, submissive, yielded person to fall down and say, God, here I am. Start using me in whatever gift, but I seek the earnest of gifts. God, I want, I want to experience the laying on of hands where people are healed. I want the gift of faith, where faith rises up in me. I know that I know that I know. I want the working of miracles. God, I want the word of wisdom where I can go and give somebody a word that it blesses them. I want the discerning of spirits that I can detect what's right and what's wrong, what's error and what's not error. Come on. I don't know how to close out this service. I think first of all, I just want you to lift your hands and just start saying, Lord, I want to yield my vessel to you right where I'm at. Lord, would you start just filling me with all good things? Would you allow me to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Would you allow me to open myself up to the point, God, that you can use me? That I can be a vessel of honor, meet for the master's use in these last days.